Welcome to this week's episode of the Comeback Girl podcast. My guest this week, Dr. Emmy Vida Estacio. Emmy's a chartered psychologist and lecturer who's recently pivoted out of the academic world to reach a wider audience with her coaching and publications. Emmy's published two books, The Imposter Syndrome Remedy and Change Your Life for Good. Both of these books reference her work on the PAIM code. PAIM stands for Purpose, Action, Momentum and Energy. Both books feature actionable steps to end self-sabotage, know your worth and flourish with self-confidence at work and in life. Emmy encourages us to ask ourselves whether the messages that we receive from ourselves and society are true, logical and constructive. And then she shows us how to flip this messaging to our benefit. Emmy outlines a 30-day action plan in her second book to fight imposter syndrome. This is such a prevalent topic for us as we return to work after career breaks. She has a free Facebook group called The Pain Code and she offers individual coaching or the do-it-yourself method of her books. Enjoy Emmy. I would love to hear, first of all, a little bit about your story and how you ended up doing the work. I'm a chartered psychologist. I'm a university lecturer in psychology. I completed my master's and PhD in health psychology. And I've published widely health research, community development, health promotion, that kind of stuff. But somewhere down the road, I kind of lost a little bit of myself because a lot of things are going on in my career and my life. And I, I lost a bit of my identity, especially when I gave birth to my son. Before I gave birth to my son, all I did was career, career, focus on my work. And then I gave birth. He's wonderful. He's the best thing ever. But somehow I lost control. I went on maternity leave for four months. And when I came back, it was just absolute chaos. You know, I almost like didn't know who I was anymore. And probably I was experiencing postnatal depression. Uh, I was really low at that time. I felt a little bit guilty as well because it should be the best time of my life, right? You know, I just mm-hmm. brought in new life to the world and he's amazing. And, but at the same time, I was feeling really low and and I was feeling really depressed trying to handle the pressures at work and trying to handle the pressures of being a new mom. So I kind of lost my identity and kind of lost my control at some point. I had my very first panic attack. The very first time um, we had to call 999 because I didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And that was the point when I made the decision to turn my life around. I knew that I'm capable of achieving great things. I've done it in the past. I made the decision to take back control of my life. And that's when I thought, look, I'm going to write books, reflect on the process, and share with everyone how they can do this. And um, I wanted to have freedom on what to do with my time by writing books so I can spend more time with my son, but also try to reach out to a wider audience who could benefit from what I can do. So... That's where I am now. I'm writing books, I'm coaching, and I'm having the best time ever with my family here in the UK. 
Fantastic. So are you still associated with a tertiary institution or are you you're working independently now? I'm doing both actually. I still am a, a university lecturer, but at the time of this interview, I actually did apply for voluntary severance. So I could focus full time on my coaching and on publishing. It goes hand in hand. So I'm still going to be affiliated with the university, but I'm focusing 100% of my time into coaching and self-publishing. And Go for it. Fantastic. Well, I'm so thrilled that you were driven to write these two publications. In the second one, you talk about your own imposter syndrome. Would you say that that's something that you've fully overcome now? <laughs> I actually feel a little bit like a hypocrite, you know, writing a book on imposter syndrome, when in fact, I actually still feel imposter syndrome from time to time. That's why I call the book Imposter Syndrome Remedy rather than Imposter Syndrome Cure because imposter syndrome is not something that will be cured. In life, changes happen all the time. There will always be self-doubt. Now, in my case, I am aware of my limitations. I'm aware of my imperfections. And that could trigger imposter syndrome for me. But what's different now is that I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the triggers. And now I'm able to manage it and control it. So instead of me being paralyzed by my self-doubt, I recognize it for what it is. And I make a decision to do something about it. So I'm not stuck in that self-doubt position anymore. It still happens, mm. but you know, there's a point where you really just have to be aware of it, take hold of it and control it instead of it controlling you. I love that. I think that awareness is 70% of the, the battle with a lot of the issues that we have with our mindset. But if you are aware of where your head can go and you have a toolkit available to help you, it's enough to keep moving forward. Often, I find that inner critic and imposter syndrome are terms that we use interchangeably. Could you just break down for us the difference between the two? Oh, of course. Well, imposter syndrome is the feeling. You know, it's the feeling of self-doubt, incompetence, and inadequacy. Whereas the inner critic, these are the messages, these are the thoughts that perpetuate imposter syndrome. So they are related, obviously, but one is a feeling and, and the other one, the inner critic messages are the thoughts. These are the performance interfering thoughts. I call them pits um, in, in the book. And these are the thoughts that perpetuate imposter syndrome. And these are the thoughts that you need to be aware of and manage and control so you could take more control of what you need to do in your life. So is it possible that you would have one without the other? It is possible to experience imposter syndrome because other people are telling you things. So it's not an inner critic, it's an external critic. Does that make sense? So it is the environment that's making you doubt yourself. So it is possible. But even with that, if you have these external critics and, and environmental factors that trigger your imposter syndrome, you still need to have that confidence to say, hang on, that's not quite right. It is the same way that you will handle your inner critics. In the book, I talk about the TLC technique. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about asking if these messages are true, logical, or constructive. Inner critics, external critics, they will say anything they want to say to bring you down. 
But you have to ask, are the messages that they perpetuate true? So if you're saying to yourself or if other people are saying, ah, you, you know, you're not good enough or you're not qualified to do what you're doing, ask, is it true? Don't you really have that qualifications or experience to do what you're supposed to do? Ask if it is logical, you know, is it logical for people to hire you, for example, or for people to say that you can't do what you want to do if you actually cannot? And the final question is, is it constructive? If these thoughts are destructive or if these thoughts are unhelpful, then why are you holding on to these thoughts? You have to, to assess these messages and ask, are they true, logical, or constructive? If we think about 70% of the population suffering to some degree from imposter syndrome, it must be a phenomenal barrier to success for business people. And not just business people, everybody. But is there in existence some training in academic qualifications? I'm thinking about an MBA. It could be useful to have some teaching on imposter syndrome and how to handle it as it comes up? I am a psychology lecturer and so I'm not really aware of how business programs are delivered. But I agree, you know, if you ask me, they should actually be taught in, in business programs and actually not just to individuals but to the managers as well so they are aware if their staff are experiencing imposter syndrome. It should be something that, that is taught in a business context because this happens in the workplace as well. Definitely. I see it around me. People who haven't come up through the traditional channels and, and you know, come up as organic promotions. And it's incredibly difficult for them because they look around at their peers who have established internal networks. And of course, they don't because they've been creating their success elsewhere. So it is a huge challenge to stop that imposter syndrome from overtaking. I work in a management consultancy. I doubt that uh, many of my management consultants have had any sort of training in something that could be really you know, limiting their commercial success. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, I, I totally agree. It should be something that, that should be embedded um, in, in business training because it can affect staff, it can affect the leaders. So um, yeah, I, I totally agree to, to that. Could you explain the pastel technique uh, that you talk about in the book? I'm a firm believer that you have to understand what your purpose is. Because if you don't know why you want to do what you want to do, you don't have a firm foundation of your action. So the pastel technique simply is a strategy that can help you to unravel your life's purpose. For some people, this is an easy question. You know, what's your purpose in life? And they would say, uh, I'm, my purpose in life is to, to be a good role model for my son or to, to provide for my family or, or to help others. You know, their purpose is, is very clear. But for some people, this question is something that they struggle to answer. Mm. So the pastel technique is just a, a mnemonic that I use that stands for passion, strength, and legacy. So what does that mean? When someone asks you, what is your purpose in life? You have to reflect about what are you most passionate about? You know, what is that thing that, that ignites fire in your belly? You know, you, 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 you think about it and there's this spark uh, in yourself that, yes, yes, you know, this is what I'm passionate about. 
So start with that. What are you most passionate about? The second question is, what are your strengths? Um, so whether it is something that you are naturally good at, or you know, people actually always compliment you. For example, they say, oh, you're a fantastic speaker, or you are very good with writing. You can capitalize on, on those strengths. But you also have to think about what are the other strengths that you'd like to develop. You must recognize that you are human, and there's always room for growth. So for example, if you are passionate about art, and you want to make a living um, as an artist, you know, selling your art. If you don't have a strength in marketing or sales, how are you going to sell your art if you're just all about the art? So you also have to think about, you know, your limitations and what other strengths you need to develop. So that's the SP part of the passive technique. You have to think about your current strengths, what you're naturally good at, and the strengths that you perhaps also need to develop. And finally, the LE of the pastel technique is about legacy. And this is about you reflecting on what you want to be remembered for at the end of your life. I know it might sound a little bit morbid, but it's almost like trying to imagine what your obituary will look like. How will people remember you for your life? What did you do with your life? Whose lives have you touched or improved? So this is something that you need to think about. You see the end already, so you can live a life towards that end. You know, you will feel more fulfilled. You'll have a better sense of direction on what you want to accomplish. Having that frame of thought, that's what the LE part of the Passel Techniques is for. It's thinking about your passion, thinking about your strengths, and also thinking about your legacy, that will really help you unravel your purpose and help you grounded into that purpose in your life. And it doesn't have to be something that qualifies you for an MBA. It can be something that you do in your own community. It could be, it doesn't have to be paid. It could be volunteer. You could affect the lives profoundly of two other people and you have created a legacy. And there are so many different scales, aren't there, to... Our offering it's still really important if it just hits a very tiny audience and if I didn't think that way I couldn't get going with my blog and my podcast because it you know I have to remember this is not really about how many people I'm touching it's did I make a difference to one it's person the impact that you have on, on other people's lives and and I actually resonate with that with that message very well you know with my writing and, you know, with the group that I organize on, on Facebook as well, you know, there's a handful of people who would testify that, you know, thank you for your book or thank you for, for the messages that you share with us because it's helping me to improve my life. And, you know, for me, that's absolutely gratifying. And, you know, it's, it's not just about me anymore. It's about helping and, and serving others as well. I was talking to you about Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, and how he said that, we are all a mix of uh, paranoia and arrogance. And if we were completely paranoid, we would never be able to get out of the house. But if we were all arrogant and no paranoia, no one would want us to get out of the house. And thinking about that in terms of imposter syndrome, do you think that a little bit of it is, is perhaps healthy in keeping us humble absolutely i mean i i told you i was um criticized um for trying to increase self-confidence in a world full of super confident and arrogant people even the 
you know, the ones who don't know what they're talking about and they are super confident. Why would you want to increase their confidence? And, and the truth is, I'm actually not writing the book for those overly confident people. It's for those people who have the competence, the knowledge, the skills, abilities, and yet they don't believe in themselves. That's who I'm writing the book for. But with regards to your question whether imposter syndrome could be a good thing, I absolutely agree that it's always a matter of balance. A little bit of self-doubt is good because it is a trigger for you to think of ways to, to improve. You know, it helps you to reassess your abilities and it sort of helps you to put yourself in, in difficult positions as well. It helps you to stay grounded as well. Acknowledging that you're not perfect, that you have limitations and that you might need a bit of help from other people as well. So mm. imposter syndrome can work for you. Mm. Um, for some people, it paralyzes them because they just get stuck on, in, in that position. But if imposter syndrome comes knocking at your door, you don't have to stay in that imposter syndrome cycle. Mm. You use that as a catalyst for growth. And if you need help. Again, that's also the catalyst for you to seek help if you feel that you have limitations and you know imperfections that need the support from others. So imposter syndrome can work for you if you know how to manage it. You talk in your earlier work about the concept of a servant leader. Could you explain what a servant leader looks like? Servant leadership is actually not focusing all the attention and all the prestige to the leader. It's about serving others and reaching out to a goal for the good of everyone. So it's not just to gratify the ego of the leader, but you are a leader because you have a purpose to serve. Mm -hmm. If I think about a lot of listeners who will be Women who are coming back to careers after caring, either elder care or families or volunteering, they will be expert servant leaders because they will have amassed skills in organising, bringing people together, probably leading, definitely directing. Um, so it's a wonderful concepts to really reflect on I think if you're coming back to work that you are a servant leader it's inherent in you it's not something that you have to spend 10 years in a business you know developing it's something that you just become as you look after other people and put them first that's right yeah putting yourself in in other people's shoes having that compassion um and and having that purpose that you're, you're doing what you are doing you have goals and agendas for everyone but it is because it is towards a common goal, you know, for the good of everyone rather than just to get yourself promoted or something like that. So it, it's for a, for a more noble and, and common cause. Definitely. Chapter six is about mentorship, gratitude and supportive environments acting as safeguards against imposter syndrome. It's my favourite chapter, by the way. I wanted to ask you, how can we as women who are not yet back in the workforce, gather mentors around us if we're looking for work? You know, who should we ask to, to give us mentorship? Right, well, I've actually been fortunate enough that I've been surrounded by 
really strong role models in my life that I could ask for advice. And for example, my mother, my goodness, she's, she's a very strong character, really strong personality. But apart from being a mother, she can actually offer and mentor me in terms of, of business and entrepreneurship. So it doesn't have to be at a professional capacity. You could already reach out to, to those who are in your inner self, in your inner circle who can provide that guidance and advice. But at the same time, if there's no one in your inner circle that can help you, you can go to social media. Because I'm a psychologist and I've always been in academia all my life, I didn't really have those strong connections with marketers or you know, all the business side of things. So what I've done is I reached out to, to keep people in social media. I didn't cast the net to everyone. I hand-selected people that I really connected with. And I messaged them. And 100% of the time, I have four people whom I just messaged on LinkedIn. Four out of four actually are mentoring me right now. You know, they are excited to help someone who they can help develop. And the truth is, I was surprised. You know, I didn't expect that um, people will be so helpful. But I'm, I'm really grateful that there are people out there who are willing to mentor others, even if you're just connected through social media. So for mentors, you can look at your inner circle or you can actually reach out, you know, join Facebook communities. You know, they're great. You can meet people there, interact and find mentors there who, who might be able to give you a, a hand in, in your journey. Would you share with us a little bit about one of those approaches? I'd love to hear your experience because that could really be empowering for what be empowering for me. I'd love to know how you did it. Well, basically, so I, I'm in academia, right? And I want to pursue a, a career in life coaching. And this actually happened two years ago when I started thinking about making this transition. Um, I've been reading about life coaching and I, I look for experienced people on LinkedIn. And I, I found this person. I'm not going to mention any names. And I saw that she has this track record of coaching servant leaders. And I emailed her and I said, look, I've seen your profile and I think I could really connect with you. I introduced myself. You know, I, I gave my life story. Just gave her a, a brief background of where I am now and where I want to be, and how I think she would be able to help me. So it was just a, you know, a really straight-to-the-point message, but it was personal. You know, it's not a template that you know, I send out to everyone on LinkedIn. I just selected her because I could connect with her, mm -hmm. and I can see that I could really talk to her, and we can share our thoughts and, and experiences in that way. And she replied, we Skyped, you know, she gave all her tips and advice and she was really excited for me. She acknowledged that it's a very scary transition period. But she said, you know what? You know, you show so much enthusiasm and energy about your plans. When you talk about your current situation and your current job and what you're doing, mm -hmm. the glow isn't there. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about your plans, you're, you're shining, you know, you're, you're glowing. And that's actually something for me, you know, coming from someone who's experienced and say, look, you know, go for it because I can see that you're passionate about it. Let's talk about your plans. Let's see what strategies might work for you. And yeah, she's been very helpful in that way. So that's the life coaching coach. 
that's that's interesting. The life coaching coach that I have, I also have a coach for my publishing, self-publishing and marketing. And it's just, you know, I don't think I would be pursuing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for those people that I've just met online. Very helpful, generous with their time and, and their advice. So inspiring. So what I'm hearing is, do your research, find some common ground with these people, show them that you know what they're all about and just ask them, potentially with no particular agenda, except I wonder if you might be able to give me some advice. So it's more loaded than that. Yes, and my advice is it's not about quantity. It's, it's about the quality of people that you reach out to. You know, just focus on maybe... Two or three, I started with just two or three. And actually, those were the real gems. You know, my coaches, they, they, are, they are amazing. And it started as just being a, a LinkedIn connection. And now we are sharing everything, all, you know, my journey. And they get excited when, when I'm achieving my milestone um, one step at a time. One step at a time, crucial. The second question I had on my favorite chapter, chapter six, was, you say when you reflect on things that you can be grateful for, you'll be amazed at how these expand. How does that work? Well, if you are practicing gratitude, you'll just become more aware of, of the things that you will be grateful for. So, for example, when I wake up in the morning, my first thought, and this is in all honesty, my first thought is, wow, I'm still alive. Because I'm alive and well, I could feel my heart beating. I feel grateful that I have these functions that are operating quite well. I get out of bed. I can sense the warmth in my home. And that makes me feel grateful that I have a house that I live in, I, you know, my, that, that it is warm and it is cozy. I go downstairs, I have breakfast. And that makes me grateful that I have food on my plate. And then I see my family, you know, they, my husband is there, my, my son is there, and that makes me grateful that I have these people inside my home. So that's what I mean by it expands, because when you practice gratitude, it is easier for you to, to notice all these little things that you take for granted, but you have to be grateful for. I know they are basic human needs, but when you practice gratitude, it actually can be quite infectious as well. Mm -hmm. So with my family, with my friends, they would say, oh, you know, you're so upbeat, you're so grateful about everything. And they try to, to emulate that as well. So it's, you get into the habit of noticing all these little things that make you feel blessed, actually. Yeah, I think it's true. I think we very much become what we meditate on. What results would you say are reasonable to expect if we follow the 30-day activating plan in your book? Right. Well, I'm not promising that it will cure it. That's why I call it imposter syndrome remedy and not cure. Simply because in life, there will always be challenges and self-doubt will always come knocking on your door. But what I can promise in my book is that it will make you become more aware of what imposter syndrome is, it will make you become more aware of the consequences that it has in your life and the triggers. And when you are aware of what those triggers are, you'll be in a better position to manage it and to take hold and, and control it rather than it controlling you. So if you follow the 30-day action plan in my book, it will increase your awareness 
you'll become more aware of the performance interfering thoughts. It does take a little bit of practice, but it all starts with awareness and gaining the skills to convert um, your imposter syndrome into something that will work for you. Amazing. Could you finally tell us a little bit about your collaboration with the Frida Project? Oh, awesome. Yes, the Frida Project is actually an online women's support group that specializes in improving the, the well-being of women. And I've collaborated with the Frida Project to bring the imposter syndrome remedy as a four-week online workshop. So in my book, I have the 30-day action plan. You can do it on your own. Um, you know, just follow it day by day, write in the workbook and so on. But it can actually be more fun and engaging to, to be in a workshop, to be with other women, going through the process together. And I'm going to be in that workshop as well. You know, I'll be reading through all the, all the threads there and, and giving instructions so you'll have that extra guidance. The first round is going to be on October the 8th. And I think the early bird ticket expires on the 24th of September. Mm-hmm. And then you have another one, if we miss that, coming up in November. Yes, depending on demand, depending on demand, we can run another workshop for those who have missed the October 8th session. So we have something planned in November, depending on, on the demand for the workshop. Fantastic. And I mean, we can find your books on Amazon. And yet there are audible versions as well, aren't there? That's right. Well, it's actually available in three formats. Um, you can have print, Kindle version, or uh, audiobook. So if people prefer to, to listen to this voice, <laughs> I narrated um, the, the audiobooks myself. Uh, my husband couldn't stop laughing because I was making funny voices with the inner critic alerts. Congratulations on self-publishing two books that are so impactful and, and will have such a legacy, talking about legacy. Um, so we'll keep an eye out for your collaboration with the Frida Project. I'll put details of all of this in the notes. And in terms of your coaching, is there a way of people getting hold of you at this point? All of the details about my services is in my website. It's thepamicode.com. My personal one-to-one coaching services are quite limited. I have very limited slots. If your listeners would like to join my Facebook group instead, you know, if, if they just want that extra support, there's also the PAMI Code Facebook group. But the one-to-one coaching, yes, the, um, the details are also available on my website, thepamicode.com. Fantastic. Emmy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to speak to you. Thank you very much, Laura. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. The Comeback Girl podcast and the blog at www.comebackgirl.com are entirely free resources. They're offered to encourage you in your return to work after a career break. My name's Laura Izard, and as a career returner myself and deeply experienced recruiter, I'm all in for bringing other women back to work after career breaks. In the podcast, I share real-life stories of comeback journeys, practical advice on finding fulfilling work, and help with the all-important mindset and confidence required. I'd love you to leave a review today on iTunes to help spread the word. Women's careers today can feature pivots, rest, complete about-turns, and still be hugely impactful and filled with purpose. I'm a firm believer that your best work can be ahead after a career break.
Follow Comeback Girl along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and the blog as you come back better than before.